For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In Scotland, it seems like there's a, a prenuptial tradition um, that's a little strange. Uh, it's called the blackening of the groom or the blackening of the bride. And depending on the area in Scotland, um, they kind of do it in different ways. Um, but the men, uh, before they're married, the, the men are stripped down uh, and they're tied to a post and then they're covered with oil and filth uh, and then they're placed on display through the town. Uh, for women, it seems like they're put in the back of pickup trucks um, and driven through town and people in the town come out and throw an old garbage uh, eggs, just curdled milk, they throw it on the bride as she drives through town. It's called the blackening. Uh, and apparently it's supposed to help prepare them. Uh, if they can endure the blackening process, they can and then endure the hardships of marriage. Uh, it's become this tradition. But um, for those of us who are non-Scots, or at least not born there, uh, why? <laughs> what? That seems pretty ridiculous. Um, but I think sometimes it's, it's, we, we grow up in these traditions uh, that seem normal to us. Um, but from the outside, they're just really, really bizarre. Um, and as we enter into um, sort of resurrection conversation, uh, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we've just come through Easter weekend. Um, if we've grown up in the church, resurrection is something that, that we talk about all the time. Um, but, but resurrection is, uh, it's, it's bizarre. People don't come back from the dead. This is not something that happens. The way that we talk about it simply happening, uh, I think, is bizarre to those who are on the outside. And so uh, let's, let's encounter the resurrection here in Matthew, um, starting in 27. 2762, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure and until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. Uh, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have uh, a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing a stone and setting a guard. Um, Jesus had said all the way through his life that after three days he would rise again. Um, so there was this budding expectation based on the things that he said, Tear down this temple uh, and I'll build it again. And telling the disciples that for three, three days he'll rise. And so the Pharisees are worried that the disciples, not, they're not worried that Jesus is actually going to resurrect. They don't think there's any chance that's going to happen. But they're worried the disciples are going to steal Jesus and then, you know, sort of have this fraudful narrative. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Um, I think what Matthew's saying there is the earthquake, the angels, and then the guards, uh, they passed out. Uh, but the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples uh, that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guards uh, went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Jesus is risen. He, he, he comes back from the dead. He encounters the women and, and, and tells these women to go into Galilee and tell the other guys uh, that he, he's going to meet them there. And, and, and the guards come too. And after seeing the angel, realizing what's going on, uh, and, and they're freaked out. They realize that their lives are at stake, and so they tell the leadership, and then they come up with this plot of, hey, say that he was stolen, and let's spread that story, and it, maybe it'll save our necks. The idea of resurrection in this day was ridiculous because the idea of resurrection is ridiculous. And it still honestly is, even though uh, we've kind of become used to it. Um, but as we see in history, there's something that happened. Something that happened between 20 AD and 40 AD that radically changed history. Something phenomenal took place with the rise of the early church with the spread of this news of Jesus, about people worshiping him, uh, this movement of disciples who who started going into all the nations. Something radical took place between 20 and 40 AD. By the time of Pentecost, we see thousands of people declaring Jesus as Lord within a generation of his death. And, and, And for some time, people used to assume that, oh, this was something that was just made up in the Middle Ages. Uh, Middle Ages or, you know, even 300 AD, they came up with this idea of Jesus and they wrote this story, became myth, and that's where it spread. Um, But in 1949, a shepherd boy went and he threw a stone into a cave and there was a a shattering noise and he went in to explore and he found all these jars, these sealed jars. And within them, he found what is now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were all these these scrolls and parchments and uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these that were kept by uh, a sect of of sort of uh, cave-dwelling monks, essentially, the Essenes. Um, And they they were, were copies of Scripture from the time of Jesus and shortly after the time of Jesus. And these, these, they've been unbelievably preserved. And today we have these Dead Sea Scrolls that show, uh, even we have fragments of the Gospel of John dated within a generation of Jesus, meaning that within a generation of Jesus, not only was Jesus being worshipped as God, but also the Gospels had been written. It's unbelievable. And so there's this proof that it wasn't something that was, was concocted in 300 AD, that within a generation of Jesus, the Gospels had been written proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, and, and so there's, there's different arguments when it comes to resurrection because it's not, it's not the natural thing to just assume, well, of course, I'm sure, Jesus rose from the dead because that's what people do. Um, and so one argument against it is that it's a fictional account written by the gospel writers. Um, a piece of evidence against that for me is, is found right here in Matthew is that um, the women were the first to encounter the resurrected Jesus. In that day and age, women had zero credible witness. They were not allowed to be legal witnesses in court. Um, 
just the, the way that society was at the time. Women did not have a legal voice. Women's, uh, women's testimony was not trusted. And so the fact that we have Matthew writing that it was women who were the ones who encountered Jesus um, is a piece of evidence that shows they weren't trying to come up with a piece of fiction to get people to believe it. Because if they were, there's no way they would have written women as the first witnesses. They would have written men in. Um, because they were instantly throwing um, the ability of, or for people to push back on it and go, whoa, 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 hold on, the first witness is women, we don't, we're not going to take this credibly. Uh, and so it's a piece of evidence that showed that they were simply writing what happened. They weren't writing a piece of fiction to try and convince people. Um, number two, uh, some arguments are that Jesus only fainted on the cross. He didn't actually die. Uh, and so it was a mistake and they buried him in the tomb and he came to and he rolled the stone away and came out and they thought he had resurrected. Um, that doesn't hold a whole lot of water when you realize what the Romans had done to Jesus. Uh, first, he was scourged and flogged with the cat of nine tails. Uh, his, his flesh was turned to, to hamburger meat. Uh, he was on the point of, of dying to begin with, let alone then being nailed to a cross. Um, I mean, now the amount of blood loss alone, the fact that he fell with the cross strapped to his shoulders and dam- would have damaged his heart. Uh, and, and then being hung on a cross for hours upon hours with nails through his wrists and his feet. Uh, a professional executioner was about to break Jesus' legs to speed up the process. The professional executioner pronounced him dead. But just to make sure, they took a spear and they jabbed it in Jesus' side and out, flowed, uh, out of, out of Jesus' lungs flowed blood and water showing uh, th- that sure enough he had asphyxiated that he was dead, pronounced dead on the scene. And you can just imagine someone waking up not dead from all of that, having the strength then to roll away a tomb, uh, this huge stone, the strength to be able to do that, and then to be able to convince people that you were actually resurrected and back to life is, um, is a pretty big stretch. There's no way that Jesus fainted on the cross based on the evidence. Um, some will argue that they aren't actual, accurate historical accounts. Um, that the, the, the records aren't correct, that Jesus didn't actually, um, didn't actually <laughs> resurrect. They just wrote it down wrong over time, scribal errors. Um, but a piece of evidence for me there is that there's no known tomb, uh, that, that Jesus was placed in a tomb, um, but we don't know where that is. There's some speculation, um, but people tend to venerate and, and worship at, at places, at tombs, but there's no known tomb because Jesus didn't stay in it. Even today's day and age, people still worship at places of burial. Um, Jim Morrison, the drunken 60s poet, is buried in Paris, and people still take pilgrimages to Jim Morrison's tomb. Um, but yet we don't have any recollection, any, any recorded history of where Jesus' tomb was because he didn't actually stay there. And it's a piece of evidence that just, again, shows um, that it wasn't that, that the historical accounts changed over time. If they had, we would know where Jesus' tomb was because it would have uh, been in memory, public memory. Some will argue that uh, Jesus' body was stolen. Uh, a piece of evidence against that is simply that there would have been a giant reward. A huge reward for someone uh, if they had simply surrendered Jesus' body and put an end to these resurrection um, myths, uh, and, and we just don't see that <laughs> see that happening. Um, another uh, argument would be the disciples simply lied about it. Um, when we a piece of evidence there though is that the disciples were all persecuted and executed for the proclamation that Jesus was God and was resurrected from the dead. Um, not just one, but all of them. They were all, I mean, John was boiled in oil and didn't take and then exiled, um, but all of the others were killed. And um, 
It's simply human nature that at least one, if not all, would crack if it was a lie. No one dies for that which they know is a lie, let alone face the horrendous torture that they faced for, for simply saying that Jesus was in fact resurrected. And, and no one really follows a dead Messiah. No one starts a movement and devotes their life to a dead Messiah who said he was God, but then was defeated by the Romans. And so, as, as much as we might want proof of the resurrection, we're never going to get it. Um, but, but something for me that I find encouraging is that we can run the ramp of reason before we take a leap of faith. That, and this has been really important for me, is that I don't have to unplug my brain to be a Christian. I don't have to disengage logic and reasoning to believe in something like the resurrection, even though scientifically... It makes no sense. It is purely in the realm of miraculous. But we can look at the historical evidence. We can look at the textual evidence. We can look at the evidence of the early church and how early, within a generation, people were proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected God. A myth like that doesn't develop over over 30 or 40 years. It takes hundreds of years, but we see the Gospels are written before that had a chance to become mythologized. And it's pieces of evidence for me that help strengthen me and propel me to a place where I'm able to place my faith in the resurrection of Jesus, that he is alive, that he has defeated death, and he's coming back again to lead us all into resurrection. I hope that's an encouragement for you today. Let's pray. God, thank you that, um, that we don't have to unplug our brain, that there are pieces of evidence in history through apologetics, we can see that lead us to a place of faith. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your victory over death. Help us to be people, identify as people of the resurrection. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, um, excited uh, to, to finish this week up with you. Uh, my last week doing these dailies. Um, well, talk again soon. Take care.